um, about uh, the island of Cyprus that is off of uh, off the coast of Greece was given the name Makarios by the Greeks, and Makarios means the happy isle or the blessed island. And uh, it comes from that Greek word, makarios, which means to be happy or to be blissful. But it also means a self-contained happiness. And these people, the Greeks, believe that because of its geographical location and its perfect climate and its fertile soil, that anyone who lived on Cyprus had it made in the shade. I mean, that was the place to be. That was a good environment and a good place. So they called it the blessed island, Makarios. Well, um, they believed that everything that you needed to be happy was right there on Cyprus. Now, we can't all pack up and move to Cyprus. I've never been there, so I don't know how blessed a place that actually is. But the idea is that our happiness is independent of our circumstances. And that's the very word that is used and translated blessed in these Beatitudes. It's the word makarios, which means to be blessed and to be happy and to be independent. Such a place that you are in e- happy eternally and internally. And um, that self-contained happiness is a happiness that... That we have and a joyfulness that we have that regardless of what's happening to us on the outside or, we're, or regardless of what's going on externally in our life, we can still have a joyous, happy attitude and have the joy of the Lord and the happiness on the inside of us. We can be genuinely, truly blessed believers of and followers of the Lord. Jesus Christ and that is what Jesus is telling us here and he uses that word makarios blessed and he begins each beatitude with that so you could say happy fortunate to be envied joyous are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven and blessed and happy and and to be envied are the are those who mourn for they shall be comforted and on down the line for every one of those beatitudes a lot of people have a lot of ideas about being happy and what it takes to be happy and uh, the world is always you know they have a the world has a different idea about being happy than what Christians do. They have a different philosophy about happiness, and people in the world are always trying to uh, to maintain, you know, they think, well, you know, if I could just have this promotion, then I'd be happy. If I just had, you know, this little better house, then I'd be happy, or a little better car, then I'd be happy, or made a little more money, then I'd be happy, and they, they're always grasping for something else to make them happy, but can I tell you that when you know the Lord Jesus Jesus Christ, and you are a child of God, that you are blessed, and you can have His joy and happiness independent of any of the external circumstances that may come your way or that may surround you. Amen? People say, you know, you know a lot of different things about what happiness is. Charles Schultz, who was, you know, the, 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 um, the guy that did the Peanuts cartoons and characters and everything, 
and Charles Schultz. You remember what he said? I think he even wrote a book about it that said, happiness is a warm puppy. Amen. Well, I guess that's so. Amen. But then Milton Berle. How many remember Milton Berle? I think we're all in that age group, don't we? Well, you know Milton Berle, the comedian. Milton Berle said that a man doesn't know what true happiness is until he gets married. And then it's too late. Praise God. So... But but Jesus here gives us the meaning of true happiness and what it is to be happy. And so, you know, even though the world is looking a lot of different places for happiness, true happiness is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. How many knows that? True happiness is only found in knowing Jesus Christ. And when we get right with God, see, we don't have to go looking for happiness or searching for happiness or trying to find things to make us happy. I know people have said, you know, well, God wants me to be happy. Well, that's true, but here's the main thing. God wants you mainly to be holy. And if you are holy, then you're going to be happy. Amen. You're going to find the happiness and the joy that comes from knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you and I get right with God and we walk with God and we live for God, blessedness and happiness will find us. We won't have to be trying to find blessings and happiness. The Bible said that these blessings will come upon you. They'll overtake you. They'll run you down. You won't be able to hide from them. Come on, amen. But it's give yourself to the Lord and live for the Lord Jesus. So we began these Beatitudes last week. And uh, in verse number number one of Matthew 5, it says, And seeing the multitudes, Jesus went up on a mountain And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And when he opened his mouth, then he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they shall revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets which were before you. Everything that Jesus said here about what it is to be blessed and what it is to be happy is totally, absolutely opposite of the world and what the world believes that it takes to be blessed and to be happy. Amen. But if you'll notice in these Beatitudes, they're very, they are progressive because they start with the new birth, being poor in spirit, then and being meek and humble and teachable, then being pure in heart and being forgiving. And then they go all the way to being persecuted for the Lord Jesus Christ. So these Beatitudes began with 
finding the Lord and being saved and being poor in spirit and, and, and mourning over sin and, and over our unrighteousness and lead us all the way through to living such a life for God that we're persecuted and we're talked about and we're lied on because of our life we're living for the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord said that's okay because if they're talking about you and they're saying things about you just know this that are false for my sake just know they did the same thing to the prophets who were before you praise God well hallelujah it doesn't matter you just well you just well we're not there yet but you in the text but you just as well get ready because if you're going to live for Jesus people are going to mistreat you and lie about you and say things about you and all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution but you will be blessed and happy and joyous in the Lord regardless of what happens can I get an amen now, he said, we talked last week about that very first beatitude in verse number 3, where he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you'll remember what we said and what we talked about last week, uh, the poor in spirit describes a person not who has, who has material poverty or not is living in material poverty, but it describes a per- person. Actually, the word is, is a word used to describe a person that has no earthly resources whatsoever, so he has to put his entire trust in the Lord. He or she understands they are totally destitute, that they are absolutely and totally nothing within themselves without Jesus Christ. To be poor in spirit means, as I said, not that you are poor materially, but it means that we realize that we have nothing. I have nothing, and I am nothing, and I can do nothing without the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on. I've got to have Him. I can't make it without Him. It's total, complete reliance upon the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, ladies and gentlemen, within ourselves, we are bankrupt spiritually. doesn't matter how much money a person has financially, materially, or whatever the case. Nothing wrong with having finances. Uh, but, but, but without Jesus, Within ourselves, we are, we are bankrupt spiritually, but in the Lord Jesus Christ and through salvation and being a part of the family of God, we are rich. Amen? You may not be rich, and, and you know, and we, we talk about that, you know, you may not be rich in the material realm, uh, in the financial realm, but if you know Jesus, you are rich. Amen? But I'm going to tell you, most of us sitting right here, now we may... We're not millionaires, and we're not, you know, and all of that. But uh, when you when you compare our lifestyle and what we live in and what we have, and compare that with with the majority of the rest of the world and the third world countries, every one of us here tonight are rich. We're rich in Christ, and we're rich in the things that the Lord has blessed us with. We are a blessed people tonight. Can you say amen to that? How many is glad you're blessed of the Lord? Amen. Everything that I have and everything that you have, we have because God has blessed us. 
with it. Amen. And I give him praise and thanks. And we are to be thanking the Lord every day. Amen. When you walk through that, thank you, Lord, for giving us a place to live. When you get up in the morning, amen, thank him that you got a good, you've had a good night's sleep. You had a good, comfortable bed to sleep in and a good, warm place to sleep that you're not out somewhere sleeping in a cardboard box. Amen. God has blessed us. God has blessed us. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, being poor in spirit yields great and wonderful blessings in the present right now, but also in the future, rewards and awards that we're going to have when we get to heaven. Amen. Not only are we blessed here, but we're blessed eternally. And I'm looking forward to that day when I hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Praise God. Then in verse number 4, that's what we talked about last week, but uh, we did some introduction and covered that first uh, beatitude last week. And in verse number 4, he gives the second one, and he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Again, it appears to be, you know, a paradox. It makes no sense to the natural mind that someone who... Uh, is mourning or is in sorrow or is in sadness, you know, that they are blessed. You wouldn't think that that would be a blessing. You don't usually walk up to somebody who's in mourning or in sadness and say, hey, you know, you're really blessed today. Amen. But Jesus said that we are. You know, the prophet Isaiah, if you, if you remember in Isaiah chapter 61, and Jesus quoted these verses from Isaiah 61 when he, when he was at Nazareth and he stood up and he opened the scroll there in Nazareth to the book of Isaiah or to the prophecy here of Isaiah and he read those verses you know the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor and all of that and, and to uh, declare the acceptable year of the Lord and, and to heal the brokenhearted and all those things but Isaiah prophesied and foretold of the Messiah that when the Messiah came that uh, when he had come he would comfort those who mourn and one one of the things he said that Jesus quoted there, uh, you know, and, and, and referred to there in the synagogue that day was from Isaiah 61, 3, that when the Messiah came and would come, that he would console those. And this is Isaiah 61, 3. He said he's, he would come to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes. You know what the ashes were? When they were in mourning, they put on sackcloth, put ashes on their head, and they sat in the, in the, in the ash heap, and they just sat there and mourned when they were in such sadness. But he said, I'm going to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That's the promise that the Lord made that when he came he would do this that to those who are mourning to those who are sitting in ashes he would give them beauty he would give them the oil of joy and a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness I would much rather have joy than mourning I would much rather have praise than heaviness amen and this is what Jesus has promised what the, the Lord has promised to do for those who mourn now, Jesus, 
You know, he seems to be giving a contradiction here that those who mourn are blessed. And man, you know, we don't think about uh, mourning, joy, uh, jo- you know, think about joy for mourning, but, but that's what this beatitude says. It's the opposite of what the world believes and what the world thinks. So what does he mean here? When Jesus talks about those who mourn, uh, we, we're familiar with that word, aren't we? All of us, I think, are familiar with that word mourn, and we know what it means to mourn. I think every one of us in this service tonight, at one time or another, have been in mourning. Is that right? We all have at one time or another. But the word mourn there, actually, there are nine different Greek words uh, that are used to speak speak, uh, uh, that are used to speak in the New Testament of sorrow and of the fact that sorrow is very common in life. How many of y'all would agree with me tonight that sorrow is something that is common to all of us as long as we are in this world? And those of those nine words in the, in the New Testament that refer to sorrow and, 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 and having that, you know, a sorrow of heart, of those nine words, the one that Jesus used here was the very strongest of all of them. Because this word mourn, the Greek word means to lament, to bewail, to be sad, to be sorrowful. It means, it it has the meaning of lamenting and mourning for the dead or to grieve over a, a severe painful loss. This word here describes the grief that you feel, that you feel when you stand at in the graveyard beside the grave of a loved one or a family member, someone that was close to you. And every one of us here have been in that place. I know we have many times, and every one of us here have all been in that place. This word that Jesus used for mourn, it represents the deepest and the most heartfelt grief, and it's used for the grieving over the death of a loved one, someone that is very close to you. So I think we're all familiar then with what Jesus was saying, that that all of us, have sorrow. Mourning, listen, mourning and sorrow are a part of our life. It's a part of life. This life is filled with tears. Thank God there's coming a day when God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. But uh, as long as we're here, we're going to have some sorrow. Wouldn't it just be great? Wouldn't it be awesome? Wouldn't it be great if somehow we could just make it so that we never had any more hurts and never had any more troubles and never had any more pains or sorrow or heartache? If we we could just change the condition of the world everything would be all right and we would never have another moment of grief or hurt or sorrow wouldn't that be awesome well we ain't going to change that 
Amen. <laughs> now, I know somebody that is going to change that. Praise God. His name is Jesus. He's going to change that at the second coming. Amen. But in this life and in this world, that's not going to happen. We're going to deal with sorrows and problems and troubles. Jesus himself said this. He said that in the world, in, in John 16, 33, he said, in the world, as long as you're in the world, you shall have tribulation. But then he went on to add, add a, a, a something to that, and he said, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. So if Jesus has overcome the world, we can overcome it. We're going to have some problems. We're going to have some tribulation. We're going to deal with troubles. We're going to go through sorrowful times. But Jesus has already won that victory. We know everything. You know, we've read the Bible. We know what Job went through and what Job experienced. And none of us probably here have ever went through the, the things that he experienced. I've sometimes felt like I was there, uh, you know, when, when things begin to happen, bad things begin to come in succession. Uh, you know, when Job's, when Job, uh, when the devil began to attack Job and begin to take his flocks and, and all of those things, it said that, that, that there, he would leave one servant, he'd leave one dude to come and tell him, hey, you know, fire from God fell from heaven, killed all the sheep or all the oxen, all the donkeys, all this. And I alone... I'm the only one that escaped to come to give you the bad news. The devil always sees to it. Hey, somebody to give the bad news. But it came in succession just one after another. And you've probably been there. You know, they'll say and when it rains, it pours. And we feel like we're in that situation. But Job, Job, under his duress and his distress and going through those things, Job said, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. And then he said, man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. The Apostle Paul in the book of Acts said that we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. And uh, David said this in, in Psalm 34, one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 34. David said in verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Amen. I heard that verse quoted when I first got saved, you know, and there'd be some problems come in our life. Or we'd be fighting some battles or something bad would happen. Everybody knew that the Bible said many are the afflictions of the righteous. And they'd quote that to me. Well, you know, Brother Rick, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But they never quoted the whole verse. They always left some part of it out. And I got to, you know, as a young Christian, I'm reading through the Bible, and I get to Psalm 34, and I'm reading that, and there's verse 19, many of the afflictions of the righteous. I said, oh, man, they are. Everybody's been telling me that. And then I read the second half of that verse, and it says, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Hallelujah. Well, that's the good news. Amen. We have afflictions. We have problems. We have troubles. We're in a fallen world. We mourn. We go through difficult times and sad times, and many are the afflictions of the righteous. But blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, and the Lord shall deliver him out of them all, out of all those afflictions. Amen? Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, there's a time to mourn, but there's a time to dance. You don't live in that time of mourning. Amen? You come through that time of 
of mourning. You go through that time of grieving. You let him, you let the Holy Ghost comfort you in that time of sorrow. So you come through and get the oil of joy and the garment of praise. And he puts a dance back in your step. Come on, amen. Oh, hallelujah. Yeah, there's a time to mourn, but there's a time to rejoice and a time to praise and a time to dance. And I would much rather dance and praise and sing and shout than I would cry and mourn. Come on, amen. Oh, hallelujah. Yeah, grief and sorrow and mourning is a part of life. Mourning and crying and sadness happens to everybody. It happens to the sinner. It happens to the saint alike. But the difference is this. A Christian, as believers, when we go through times of mourning, we have a source of comfort. We got something the world ain't got. Come on, somebody. We got something they don't have. We have a source of comfort. The psalmist David said, weeping may endure for the night. What's it say? But joy comes in the morning. Just hang in there. Let me tell you, if you're going through some mourning or some sadness, hang in there. Blessed are those who mourn, for comfort is promised to you. Amen? See, some people misread that, that, uh, that beatitude. Blessed are they who mourn. Some people read it, blessed are they who moan. <laughs> they get it wrong. And it didn't, Jesus didn't say blessed are the moaners, amen? He didn't say blessed are the miserable, melancholy, sad sacks and crybabies that moan and complain all the time. Amen, that their favorite song, you know, it's, you, always hear them, you always hear them saying, well, you know, Brother Rick, it's just really a hard old way living for the Lord. It's really just pray for me. You used to hear them testify. That's why we had to quit in churches, you know. Churches had to quit having testimony services because, you know, we'd want to have a testimony service. And instead of people praising the Lord, it'd stand up and, you know, oh, it's just been such a hard old way. Pray for me, brother, that I'll hold out faithful to the end. I don't know if I'm going to make it or not. Amen. That's not testifying for the Lord. Come on, somebody. Amen. No, he's not talking about them. You, you, you've seen them. You've seen those people never have any joy, never have any praise. Their favorite song is nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Amen. Or gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. Got any hee-haw fans here tonight? If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Yeah, we have time. We have difficult times. We go through times of mourning. But the blessing is not in the mourning. Come on, amen? The blessing is not in the sorrow. The blessing is not in the sadness. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. The blessing is in the comfort that we receive from the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has promised us that he would comfort us. See, he is concerned about all the pain and all the sorrow that you encounter. I don't, you know, listen, it matters not. And I'm going to tell you, 
What you're going through tonight or what you may be facing tonight, Jesus knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. And He has promised, the Word of God has promised that He would not allow us to be tempted or tested above that which we are able to endure, but with the temptation, He would make a way of escape. What is that way of escape? That we would be able to bear it or to endure it or to come through it or to be victorious in it. Praise God. In other words, there's grace that's given to you to comfort you, to comfort me in all of our times of sorrow and trouble. He has promised, ladies and gentlemen, He has promised to console us and to comfort us and to strengthen us when we turn to Him for help in all of our tribulation. He is the God of all comfort. Can I get an amen? He is the God of comfort. i got to slow down. I'm getting the feeling to <coughs> preach. Come on. Hallelujah. Hang on just a second. I should open that first before I started. Amen. He's the God of all comfort. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3. Notice what Paul says, writing here to this church at Corinth. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all what? Comfort. What does this God of all comfort do? Paul said, Who comforts us in some of our tribulation. <laughs> Isn't that? No, he didn't say that, did he? He said, he comforts us. He's the God of all comfort who comforts us in all, all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. How many, how many have ever received comfort from the Lord, from the Holy Spirit, when you've been in trouble? You've received his strength and you've received his comfort and help. Well, listen, if you have, then you ought to be able to comfort those other folks who are in any trouble. If you've experienced his comfort in your life, amen. So he said there that he comforts us in all of our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted. Now, I want you to look at something here in this verse. He's, he, the God of all comfort. That word comfort is paraclesis. It's the word paraclesis. And if that sounds familiar to you, the, the word for the comforter, the Holy Spirit, which we'll touch on here in a moment, is the Greek word paraclete. When Jesus said that I will send you another comforter it's the parakletos the 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 comforter and what does that word mean the word comforter parakletsis means to stand beside a person to encourage and to help them in the time of trouble did you get that it means to stand beside someone it means to encourage them to help them to strengthen them in their trouble well that's what paul said that that god does for those who are in 
in trouble. He stands beside them to comfort them, to help them in their time of trouble. Amen. Paul talked about to Timothy, he said, at my first appearance before Caesar, he said, uh, no man stood with me. Everybody left me. Amen. Nobody was there for me. But, he said, yet the Lord stood with me. Hallelujah. And the Lord helped me and the Lord strengthened me. I'm going to tell you everybody else can leave you, but there is one who will stand with you. There is one that will be there. There is one that will stand by your side. There is one that will strengthen you and comfort you in all of your trouble and in all of your temptations and in all of the things that you go through in this life. And his name is Jesus. Can I get an amen tonight? His name is Jesus. And he is the God of all comfort to comfort us in all our tribulation. Now, God wants us then to take the same comfort he's given to, to us and to give that comfort to somebody else. We're to help others come through their troubles. God wants to use you and me to be a comfort and a strength to other people. Amen? Hallelujah. That doesn't mean, you know, I, <laughs> sometimes people in the past, you know, they'd visit somebody that was sick. And there's a ministry of doing that. Visit somebody sick. Well, you're there to encourage them and strengthen them and comfort them. And, you know, you're not supposed to go in there. And, and when they tell you what's wrong, say, well, man, I had an uncle died with that. You know, I mean, you know, I don't know. You may not make it. That's not much comfort. Amen. You're there to, to strengthen. Comfort does it. It means to console them. It means to strengthen them and encourage them. How many knows you're to be, you and I are to be an encourager to other people? Amen. And everybody needs a little encouragement sometimes. Isn't that right? Praise God. Sometimes you can't find it, so you just have to do like David and encourage yourself in the Lord. But, but when, 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 when God helps us in our tribulation, comforts us when we mourn, then we should be able to, in the same way, comfort somebody else. Amen. We've, you know, we have, Vicki and I, man, we've, we've been through some, some difficult situations in our life. We've buried two daughters, and, uh, you know, we know what that feels like. But you know what? We know what that, what that sadness and that hurt is and that mourning is. Vicki here, she's lost a, 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 two sons and, and a brother, a couple, several brothers, four brothers, and uh, her mom just a few years ago. But we all have been there, and we know what that's all about. Amen. But God is there for us to comfort us. Amen. He helps us through that. Now, you know, as I said, we buried a couple of daughters, and not to mention, you know, grandparents and, and parents and things like that. But, but, but we know how to, uh, to console and strengthen those who are going through that same thing. 
Amen. Because the comfort God gave us, we want to share it with somebody else. And it should be that way in our life. When God has strengthened and helped us, we want to give it to somebody else. So God helps us through every problem. And so now you can help somebody. See, the greater the suffering, the greater the comfort. The greater, and I believe this. I mean, God, the greater the suffering that you are facing in your life. And when I say suffering, we talk about Christian suffering. We're not talking about, you know, we're talking about suffering for Jesus. Sickness and disease is not suffering for Jesus. Amen. It is a suffering, but it's not suffering for the cause of Christ. But we're talking about suffering for the Lord. I mean, when there's suffering in our life, regardless of what it is, the Lord, the greater that suffering is, I believe His grace is sufficient. The greater the comfort will be that comes from the Holy Spirit. He's always sufficient for everything that we need in our life. Amen. So the Holy Spirit, I was going to, I thought I was going <laughs> to have to laugh. I thought I was going to get through, blessed are they that mourn and blessed are the meek. We're, we're, we're going to do good to get through they, them that mourn. But the Holy Spirit is the comforter. Is that right? In John's gospel, in John 14, 16, let me read it from the King James. The King James, John, Jesus said, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter. Now, that word another means one of the same kind, okay? He will give you another comforter. In other, in other words, a comforter that's going to take my place. I've got to go away. He said, if I don't go away, the comforter's not going to come. It's profitable. It's advantageous to you that I go away so the comforter will come to you. And he, he said, he's with you, but he shall be in you. Amen. That's the, that's the good thing. But he said, uh, I'll pray the Father. He'll give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. In verse 26 of John 14, he says, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said to you. There the word comforter, in the, King, in the New King James, he tra they translated helper, and that's, that's fine. That's a good translation because he is our helper. And there's, there's several, seven, I think it's seven different words, but in the Amplified, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but uh, the Amplified lists these words as being meanings for that word Paraclete or Paracletos. It's, um, it means a counselor, a helper, an intercessor, an advocate, a strengthener, and a standby. And do you know that the Holy Ghost is all of those things to you? That's why you need to lean on the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Amen. He's there to be your helper. He's there to be your comforter. He's there to be your consoler. Let me tell you something. He's there to stand by you and to be there for you. And our comfort Comfort tonight, abundant life. Listen, your comfort, our comfort is supernatural comfort. It's real comfort. It's comfort that's filled with divine peace and with the divine presence of God Almighty. Amen. 
Praise God. So blessed are those who mourn. So you may be going through something today, but lean upon Jesus. Lean upon the Holy Spirit. And if you will do that, He will comfort you. Amen? If you'll let Him, He'll comfort you. But let me touch on something else. And we'll be getting, we'll, we'll close up. Jesus is also addressing another kind of mourning here as well. And this is, this is sorrow, mourning or sorrow that's caused, not caused by maybe a financial loss or the loss of a job or the death of a friend or a relative or something of that nature. But this word deals with what he's talking about here too is a mourning that is caused because of sin. It's a godly sorrow over over one's sin that he's dealing with. How many, how many are familiar with that? See, we are to, if we're going to receive the blessing of, of the beatitude, there has to be a mourning or a sorrowfulness for sin in an individual's life. That seems to be something that's lacking in, definitely in the world, but even within the church world today, amen? There is a godly sorrow. How many knows that? That leads to repentance. And, 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 and the, Corinthians, the Corinthian believers experienced this. Paul wrote them a letter, straightened them out, made them sorrowful. Amen. But he said in 2 Corinthians 7, verses 9 and 10, Paul said this to the, to the believers there at Corinth. He said, Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but... That your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Are you seeing that? There's a godly sorrow that leads to repentance a godly sorrow that produces repentance. Now, you don't even hear much about repentance in the, in the church anymore. Amen. They don't want that word mentioned because so many have taught that you don't, Christians don't have to repent anymore. If they sin, they just forget about it and go on and ignore it and leave it alone and, and God because God doesn't see in any way. Well, that's not taught in the Scripture, ladies and gentlemen. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. It's a godly sorrow or a mourning. It's not to, it's not to, to ignoring or trying to cover up or to hide our sin, but it's a confessing and forsaking sin. And we're, you know, John said, I write these things to you that you sin not. Isn't that right? That's the plan. Don't sin. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. But but, but see, people, there, there, there has to be a, a, a if, if you sin, when, let me put it this way, when you sin, there must be a a, a sorrowfulness there because you, you have, have sinned against the Lord. You've displeased the Lord. And there must be then that godly sorrow will bring about a confessing and a forsaking of that sin. See, people respond to sin in different ways. 
a lot of different ways. Some, you know, regret what they have done, and that's good. We should. Some have remorse over their past and over their sin. Some are sorry they got caught. Yeah, there's a big difference there. Amen. In other words, until I get caught, I ain't going to fess up. But, but they're sorry that they got caught. There was a difference between King Saul and David. There was a big difference there. Saul was, a lot of times Saul said, oh, I've sinned, I've sinned. But he, he only said it when he got caught. Of course, David did too. He got caught, didn't he? But there was a difference in having just a remorse and having a, a godly sorrow that will repent of that sin and turn away from that sin. And that's what this morning is leading to, a repentance of sin. See, godly sorrow grieves over sin. Not the consequences of our sin, which sin all has consequences, but it grieves over the sin itself. It doesn't just grieve over the fact that we're caught. There's a difference between repentance and remorse and regret. Yeah, you regret your sin. You have remorse. It's something stupid. But when I'm willing then to turn from sin, and this should be the place that everyone, every believer is, that we do our best and we trust in the Lord and we walk in the Spirit and we walk in the light as He is in the light. But if we trip up and if we sin, there should be a sorrow in our heart. Lord, I'm so sorry that I did that. I ask your forgiveness. I repent of that. I turn away from that. Amen. I don't want that in my life. If I'm willing to turn from sin and then obey God, then I have experienced genuine repentance. But it begins with a mourning and a godly sorrow. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, 13, He who covers his sins shall not prosper, but whosoever confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. Isn't that what David did? David committed Here's a man after God's own heart, ladies and gentlemen. Chosen by God, man. God blessed him. But David committed a horrendous sin. You know, adultery. Then tried to cover that up by, by having Bathsheba's husband murdered. I mean, man, he's messed up, and he's going along. Listen, David went along. I don't know how long, but he went along for a while covering that up. And one day, there was a prophet that had enough of the Holy Spirit and enough gumption to go before him and give him a little parable of a, of a little ewe lamb that, you know, you, you know the story and how that this rich guy took the ewe lamb away from the poor guy, that that was all that he had. And David said, well, he needs to die. And remember what Nathan did? Pointed his finger right in David's face and said, you are the dude. You're the one. We don't, we, don't, we, don't, we don't have too much of that kind of boldness today to point sin out in people's life. But David repented of that. Psalm 51 is the mourning of David over his sin with Bathsheba. And he said, he said in, in Psalm 51, he said in verse 3, he said, For I acknowledge my transgressions. Notice that. I acknowledge them. 
I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. And then he says, purge me with hyssop, that I shall be, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all of my iniquities, and restore to me the joy of my salvation. Here's a man that was sorry for what he'd done. He, 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 he couldn't stand what he'd done, and he's pleading with the Lord and acknowledging and confessing his sin for God to wash him and for God to make him whiter than snow and blot out his iniquities, and God did just that. Huh? Oh, let me read to you. I'm, I'm, I'm about done. Let me read to you. I'm not about done, but I'm going to stop. In Psalm 32, listen, this is, a, this is the joy of forgiveness. And David said in Psalm 32 and verse 1, Blessed, there's that word. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Notice verse 3. David talking about when he was dealing with his sin against God in the adultery and the, uh, uh, and the adultery and the murder. And he said, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For Day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. In other words, he, he, he's bothered by that sin. But he's covering it up. That's why it's bothered him. He's hiding it. He don't want nobody to know about it. And he said, it was there. Your hand was on me, heavy on me, day and night. But look at verse 5. He said, but I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess. Confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Hallelujah. And then in that first verse again, he said, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. And blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute sin. Let me tell you, when you've had that sorrow over sin and you've went before the Lord and confessed it to him and said, Lord, I I'm sorry, forgive me, let me tell you, you will be comforted. And you know what that comfort is? It's the comfort of knowing that your sins are washed away and made whiter than the driven snow. And there is no record. My record's clear today because he washed my sins away. And the old account was settled long ago. Come on. Amen. I'm comforted tonight because he has forgiven me. Man, don't let that devil keep you in condemnation over past sins that you've repented of and asked forgiveness of. Because as far as God is concerned, they exist no more. Blessed are they who mourn over their sin, over their failure. For they shall be comforted, forgiven, cleansed, made right with God. Oh, man, is that some good news or not? It is, it is, it is, it is. Praise God. Praise God. See, there's an inseparable connection, saints, between godly sorrow and godly joy in the Word of God. 
There's an inseparable connection between that. Godly sorrow and godly joy. Psalm 126.5, they that sow in tears shall what? Reap in joy. Isaiah 61.3, to give them the oil of joy for mourning. 2 Corinthians 6.10, Paul said, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. See, when you realize you've sinned, you repent, the Lord says, look, here's what the Lord says, I don't condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. Well, it's like that woman, that, that, that woman caught the very act of adultery. And all them Pharisees around there, you know. Jesus is, Jesus is there in the temple teaching. They bring her, throw her down right at his feet. Probably scantily dressed. I don't know. But he, they throw her down. Said she, we caught her in the very act of adultery. My question's always been, where's the dude? They're both supposed to be stoned. Not just the woman. Takes two to tango. Right? Throw her down at the feet of Jesus. Said she's caught in the very act of, of adultery. The law of Moses said stone her. What do you say? Yeah, Jesus just ignored them, didn't he? Didn't he answer them? Sometimes it's just, just you know, <laughs> Proverbs said, don't answer a fool according to his folly. <laughs> Amen. And so, you know, he just, he just stoops down on the ground. They keep pressing. And he stoops down and he writes something on the ground. I don't know what he was writing. But he stood back up. And he looked at him and he said, you that are without sin, the one that is without sin among you, cast first a stone at her. And then he just stooped back down and went to teaching and writing again and ignored them. When he looked up, they is gone. They all had rocks in their hand. Oh, man, I'm preaching better than you, amen, and tonight. They all had the rocks in their hand ready to stone this girl. But they all dropped their stones and they walked away, one by one. Because they knew they had some skeletons in their closets. Jesus looked up. Only one left is this woman. He said, woman, where are your accusers? Has no man condemned you? She said, no man, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn you. He forgave her. Oh, is anybody with me? He forg- he's, he's comforting her. I know there was some sorrow in there. Yes, she got caught. But man, she is receiving mercy. And he said, neither do I condemn you. And a lot of people stop right there. But he said, go and sin no more. That's it right there. Go. And sin no more. But the condemnation was lifted. Mercy was granted. And when we are sorry for our sinfulness, we don't have to live under condemnation. You know, John, John, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he had a struggle. You know, we, I talked about this on, on Sunday from Romans chapter 7 a little bit. But Paul said, I know that in my flesh there's nothing good that dwells. He said, for me to will 
to wield the wheel to do right as present with me, how to perform what is good I don't find. And then Paul said this. Here was a sorrow in his heart and his life. He said, oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me? Not what or how. Oh, I love that. But who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And then he went on to say in the very next phrase, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There was deliverance. And chapter 8, verse 1 and 2, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So there was mourning, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me. And then there was comfort. Oh, the law of the Spirit of life has made me free from the law of sin and death. That's a good beatitude right there. Blessed are they who mourn. So whether it's mourning or sorrow because of tragedy in our life or some kind of tribulation or problems we're facing, the Lord will comfort us. Or whether it's sorrow, a godly sorrow over some sin that we've committed or something we've done in our past, if we bring it to Him in repentance, He will comfort us with forgiveness and with cleansing and with assurance that everything is all right. Too many Christians walking through life, living life full of guilt and condemnation over stuff that they've repented of and been forgiven of, and they need comfort and assurance to know that everything's been made right by the blood of Jesus Christ. Go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus said. Go and sin no more. You're starting over. Praise God. Amen? Hallelujah. Well, I've done it again. Preached myself happy. Uh, I helped anybody else, but I'm happy as a lark. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus, for your blessings tonight, for this privilege to teach your word, to, 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 to just be a part of, of, of your church. We love you and we praise you tonight. Have your way.